Hi, this is Tim Talty, and welcome to ECE Tech Talk. Hello, and welcome to another episode of ECE Tech Talk. This is Dwan Wanjara. And I'm Mayank Kirani, and we'll be your host for today. So our guest for today is Dr. Tim Talty. Currently, he's a collegiate professor at, in the Bradley Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at Virginia Tech, where he's the Director of Admissions for the Masters of Engineering program. Prior to joining Virginia Tech, Dr. Talty was employed as a Technical Fellow of Research and Development, Lab Group Manager, and Product Development Manager at General Motors Corporation. Prior to that, he was the Department Chair and an Associate Professor at Fairfield University. His research interests are mobile communications, intravehicle wireless sensor networks, and physical layer privacy and security. His teaching interests are wireless communications, communication systems, and signal processing. Awesome. Hello, Dr. Talati. Thank you so much for being here. Would you like to add anything to Mayank's awesome introduction? No, no. It's, uh, and, and thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, really excited to be here. It, it's really a great uh, service that you do here doing these, uh, these tech talks. I really enjoy them. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, um, so we saw that you, you are the collegiate professor. Can you explain to us what that means? Yeah, so um, there's, uh, I guess, three different kind of classifications, or well, maybe even more. Um, but the, the ones that you see most common are tenure track faculty. And those uh, faculty tend to have entered um, uh, the collegiate or professor ranks um, right from their PhD or very early in their career, and they've always intended to be uh, uh, professors, right? So it was their career ambition, um, and, and they wanted to be in a university setting. So there's this tenure track uh, that, that's established for them. And it's uh, like you see at most faculty here, right? There, there's, a, there's a requirement to do the research and write grants and get funding. Um, there's a requirement to teach and there's a requirement for kind of service to the, uh, to the university. Um, so that's typical. There, there's another category that's uh, professors of practice. These tend to be people that um, are working professionals or adjuncts sometimes called, um, that teach maybe one course a semester or something because it's a hobby or something they really like to do. And then this third category is the collegiate faculty they're typical people like me that have been in industry for 30 years or so, uh, retired, um, but aren't done. <laughs> so we, we've always uh, enjoyed some aspect of university life, whether it's service to the academy, the university, service to students in education. Um, uh, generally not so much research because we're, you know, we're at the end of our careers and we've done uh, in industrial uh, research, but it doesn't port well, unfortunately, to getting funding from NSF and DOD generally. So our prime focus is on uh, generally on, on teaching and service to the uh, university in, in terms of doing um, administrative roles. Um, and, and the idea there is that we're, we're enabling more of the, the tenure track faculty then 
to focus on what they do best and what they excel at, which is um, on the research side. Um, so that, I, I don't know, does that help? Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so let's get started with your time at GM for, are you into cars at all? Are you, is that something that's always been inspiring you from a young age? Were you into racing or, or just cars in general? No, not at all. I, um, I, I'm the definition of a random walk when you, when you look at sort of my, my career path. Um, it, it's kind of interesting. The only thing about cars <clears throat> is when I was young, um, my family didn't have a whole lot of money or anything. So I always had cars that were beater cars that were, you know, they were $50 cars back in the day. Um, so I did an awful lot of work on cars, uh, but it was out of necessity and it was just getting the thing to keep moving. Um, so I, I, I did have my hands in grease a lot, but it, it wasn't out of love. It was more out of necessity, like you said. What, what was your favorite car from your younger days? I had a Ford, uh, um, uh, uh, oh, what was the name of it? Um, began with a T. I'd have to, it was a 1960s. Um, was it like a truck or? No, no, it was, okay. it was a muscle car. Okay. Um, nice. and it wasn't intended necessarily to be a muscle car, but it, it, it just back in the day, they put huge engines, uh, in these, in these cars and, uh, Torino and, and the thing would just fly. It was unbelievable. It, it was it was probably the dangerous thing on the road because of how fast you could get this thing going so quickly. And of course, back then they they only had drum brakes, and uh, and of course this car was 15 years old. So I mean, the floor panels were rusted away. You could actually see the road underneath the, uh, the car as you were driving. So it, uh, but it was a lot of fun. It was, it was absolutely. Yeah. So about so, your time at, at GM, what position did you hold? How'd you get started in that industry? Uh, well, I was actually teaching um, a class at the University of Toledo. I was, uh, 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 my advisor was uh, Kai Fung Lee. He was really well known in antenna theory. And he was away at a symposium and I was uh, teaching the class for him. And, and after the class, one of the students came up and, and he was working at Ford Motor Company. They said, hey, we've got an opening. Um, would you be interested? And I was like, no, I, I want nothing to do with the auto industry. But uh, I, I talked to my wife afterwards, uh, and, and she was like, well, you know what? Why don't you just go and, and see what it's like? So it, I kind of stumbled into it. Um, and my first job in the auto industry was with Ford Motor Company, working on um, uh, AM, FM radios, which are not very sexy, right? But, that's where I started. So is that what transitioned you to getting into GM right after that? Well, I, I finished up my, um, my PhD um, at the University of Toledo, and I was sponsored by uh, NASA Lewis, and well, it's now NASA Glenn in, in Cleveland. So I was spoiled. I had access to uh, unbelievable lab facilities uh, at NASA. And uh, cutting edge technology, it, it, now we, I'd, I'd laugh at it, but we were building uh, L-band, so low gigahertz oscillators uh, on the same substrate as antennas and creating these big um, phased array antenna structures. 
at the time, very cutting edge. Uh, you know, now it's, it, you know, it's, it, it's ridiculously simple. Um, but, but then I ended up, like I said, at, at Ford doing AM FM radios and within six to 12 months was extremely bored. Um, and I said, well, I, you know, I got my PhD, maybe I'll, I'll dabble and I'll, I'll try this university route and see if that's more interesting. Um, so I uh, sent out a couple of resumes and I was fortunate enough to get uh, a job at the United States Military Academy at West Point um, as an assistant professor and um, stayed there for a few years. Uh, and what happened in industry was there was a spinoff at, at, uh, at Ford and they got rid of their components folks, the people who designed radios and things like that. And they realized they had no expertise left back. So they, they went on a big hiring spree looking for, oh, and then there was, there was also this thing that they couldn't uh, poach people from, bless you, from the, from the companies that, that uh, they spun off. So they were looking for people that had experience but were not in the industry currently. So I, I perfectly fit that bill. Uh, I basically doubled my salary to come back to industry. So I, um, I guess I was a little bit of a whore, I guess. I just, uh, I, went, I went for the money. And I, I loved my job at West Point. Uh, it was amazing uh, working with the students and, and the cadets. And also uh, West Point is just a gorgeous area. Uh, it looks a lot, actually, a lot of the buildings here look very similar to the campus at West Point. Um, so anyways, that, that what, that's what brought me back into industry. And I was working on, uh, at the time, Ford was uh, launching what was called Wingcast, which was the equivalent of OnStar for General Motors. So we were doing cellular uh, transceivers and figuring out how to integrate those into the car way before, you know, kind of the Internet of Things was being thought of. But that's how we were approaching it, that these cars would become connected. We would be able to monitor the state of health of the vehicles. Uh, in a way to proactively provide maintenance uh, you know, to the vehicles um, and, and provide a happier user experience uh, for the car owner. So it was, it was really a lot of fun um, and, and cutting edge and, and interesting. Unfortunately, um, Ford lost an appetite uh, for it because it, it was going to be five to eight years before a return on investment <clears throat> was gonna be achievable. And in industry, you normally want uh, 24 to 36 months at most before you see, a, you know, you have to have a return on that investment. Uh, so they, they cut um, and ran from it. <clears throat> at the same time, General Motors was launching OnStar. So uh, it was they, basically General Motors gobbled up uh, everyone from Ford that was working on the telematics, uh, you know, area. So that's how I ended up at General Motors. So you, would you consider your position or your, or your time at GM and Ford a mix of research and application or was it highly based towards just application if the stuff came up, that came up in academia? Yeah, so it, it started out really as um, very application oriented. Like I said, my, my first job was AM FM radios, designing tuners. Um, and we also had the, manu at the time, Ford had the manufacturing up in Markham, uh, Canada, where we actually had the PCB boards and you know, populated, you know, so it was everything, cradle to grave. 
So I, I really liked that experience in my, my career because I, um, I got to see things from the design board, um, you know, all the way through fabrication and then actually being part of a car that was being sold. And then also the warranty aspects of it too and, and maintaining the product through its lifetime. So I really, really, really liked that, uh, that I had that part of my career. Um, although at the time I thought it was really boring. Um, it, it gave me a, an appreciation for everything. Um, as I moved on in my career, I moved further and further away from the actual product that was going into the car into the next, next generation of products and what that would look like. Um, and uh, probably about, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, I, I made the hard transition over into the research organization at General Motors. Um, so left the product development area and, and went into the research area, which is really General Motors research and development is uh, really quite, quite in, cutting edge. Um, Fortunately, we, we don't get a lot of exposure, and most corporate research don't because we don't publish. We're not going to tell Ford Motor Company or Toyota what we're doing, right? So we, we, we don't have the same uh, ability to communicate our research results as you would get sort of in a, in a university setting. Um, on the converse, we, we, we do do an awful lot of uh, patent development. So I was fortunate there to be able to, to generate a number of patents. But um, it was that, that sort of my career path. Do you, do you think you get better access to technology in colleges or, or in research like Ford or GM? That's a really good question. Um, it, it depends. So the labs at General Motors that are very uh, vehicle related are, are better than you'll find at any university. Uh, even here at Virginia Tech, there's a Virginia Tech uh, Transportation Institute um, they have incredible labs, uh, but they dwarf compared to what uh, would be in, in industry when, when it's core technology. So what I'm talking about is like, um, you know, a decade ago, the internal combustion engine, the research labs at General Motors were, uh, and, and it, I should say in the auto industry in general, were cutting edge. There were, there were none better. Um, now you look at sort of the, the battery research, there's no better labs in the world than at, uh, in, in the automotive industry and automotive supply base. Um, so universities may, uh, there may be a niche here and there for a, a type of battery cell technology, but in, in general, you're not gonna see labs any better uh, and you'll see it in the industry. So where exactly were you working for GM and Ford? Was it in Detroit? Yeah, in the Detroit area. Ford is uh, in Dearborn. Uh, which is uh, a southwest uh, suburb, and then um, uh, General Motors was in Warren, which is a northeast uh, suburb. So, so let me ask you this: Are you more of a city guy or a suburb guy? Even though you city, live city, city, this uh, this uh, rural area is killing me here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to agree. Did you ever live in a big city? Uh, well, I was born and raised in Buffalo, New York. Okay, sweet. Probably doesn't bubble into a big city, but I, I was actually an urban kid. I, I did grow up within the city limits. And I, I like cities. That's awesome. awesome. So going back to, I guess, your, your childhood, were you always an academic kid that was interested in engineering and science or? Oh, my God, no, no. I was, uh, I was 
so I was one of seven kids, the, the baby of seven. Um, my mother was a public school teacher. Um, I, she had the patience of, of a saint with me. I was the worst student. I, I was completely unmotivated. I, I like doing things sort of with, with my hands and uh, those things, but to get me to carry, I, I, I got in trouble in high school because the, um, I was on a busing system, so we'd get on the bus. And uh, there was always a, a faculty or an instructor or a teacher that was, was in the kind of the school yard or the, the bus yard there. And I'd get yelled at every day, where are your books? You're not taking any books home. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't want them. Or, <laughs> so no, I was, I, I, my poor mother had to go through, you know, a lot of trying times with me to, to get me to focus on, on studies. So when did that switch from being that kid to a PhD student and a graduate? I'm, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting <laughs> for it to happen. Um, I, I think really what it was is just complete boredom uh, with, with uh, high school and um, schooling. The, uh, so I, I wasn't going to even go to college. My, my plan was I was uh, through high school. I was in an apprenticeship program. Uh, with the Port of Buffalo. Um, so every summer and, and break, I worked with a tradesman. One summer I was with an electrician, one summer I was with a plumber. Um, and that was gonna be my career path. I was just going to work there. And in my uh, junior year, um, they shut down. Uh, the Port of Buffalo shut down and, and laid off all the, the trades people. Um, so it left me in a scramble to figure out <laughs> what what to do um so i uh and and my family really didn't have a lot of money so i i, I couldn't really afford necessarily to go to college but um there were a couple schools that, that came in my senior year general motors institute ironically um and then there was this a couple other schools uh, uh rit rochester institute of technology uh, and some others that had co-op programs where the recruiter said that if, if you went there um, and you got a B average, that they would find a, a company to sponsor you uh, and you would work about half the year and go to school about half the year and you would make enough to pay your tuition and, and things like that. Um, so that became sort of the, the avenue that I, that I pursued and was planning on going actually to General Motors Institute in, in um, Flint, Michigan, but uh, you needed a plant sponsor. And the, the plant that was gonna sponsor me um, went bankrupt or they, they shut it down uh, in my senior year, my senior year of high school. So again, I was in scramble mode to, to try to find something. So. Absolutely, so uh, this is a good transition. We know that you received your electrical and computer engineering degree from uh, Twine University and your PhD from University of Toledo. So how's your education experience like? Did you enjoy college once you went through all the struggle of getting in? Um, I, I, so trying at the, at the time was called Tri-State University. It was a small engineering school um, that had this co-op program where if you went, um, while they didn't guarantee it, they you know, said that they would, they would find an, you know, somebody that, that would employ me and then I'd be able to pay for, for college. And sure enough, it did work out. I, I did, 
I ended up my, so I was motivated my first year uh, at, at school uh, to get grades. And it's probably the only time I've been motivated to get grades. Um, and I did really well. And uh, sure enough, I, I landed a co-op job um, and was able to pay uh, the rest of the school uh, you know, myself. So it did work out. And I really, really did like um, the environment. It was a very small school in a very, in Northeast um, Indiana, a very rural area. So setting I was completely not comfortable with or familiar with. Uh, the town itself had one traffic, the whole county had one traffic light. So it, it, it was very different. Um, but what I really liked was uh, the faculty there were very personable. Um, and it was, uh, the, the on-campus housing was very limited. So you, you could stay your freshman year on campus, but then you had to find alternative housing. And um, the Greek life uh, was extremely popular there. Not, it's, it's totally different than like the Greek life that I had seen in movies and things like that. These, these were just people renting homes, basically, is what it was. Um, and, uh, but it, it, in, it, it provided the social uh, environment that was really fun. So, you know, every night there would be, um, you know, one of the fraternities would, um, oh, can I just play this? Sure. I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan, so this is my ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, and it was in a time when the faculty could engage with students. So um, you know, every fraternity had uh, sort of the bar in the basement with the pool table and darts, and and there would be professors that would be at these events. Um, so you got to play pool with your English professor, um, or or play darts with your your math professor. You got to interact act with them in a totally different way that really inspired me. Um, and and I, I don't think I would have survived college uh, if I didn't have that kind of experience. Um, just because I, I would have, I, and I did, I got unmotivated, um, you know, through, uh, through my undergraduate. And, and it was because of the personal interactions and the bonds that I had established with my professors that kind of got me out of some of these lulls that, that I, I hit uh, periodically. Sure. Absolutely. So where did you co-op in your couple years at, at college? Yeah, this was my, my lifeline. It was the Naval Sea Systems Command in Arlington uh, or Crystal City, Virginia. So every three months I got to see civilization again. I got out of Indiana and I got, got into a city. Uh, and again, if I didn't have that kind of, uh, you know, urban, you know, renewal every three months, it probably would have drove me crazy. So how long did it take you to graduate with this co-op program? Oh, it, it took a long time. Uh, five, five years, I think. Yeah. It still sounds pretty awesome. It's a great experience to work half the time and, and study half the time. Do you, think that, do you think that made you uh, a more rounded engineer slash student yeah oh for sure for sure um matter of fact i if it wasn't for that experience I, again there there's so many points in my life where i almost just walked away um and one of them was in my circuits class uh i, I absolutely hated that course you know 
And, and back in the day, we spent the first year and a half at school in the math department, in the physics department, in the chemistry. We never saw anything with, with engineering. And then I, I walk into this circuits class and I'm like, oh, this is awful. I mean, I am not doing this the rest of my life. Um, luckily, I had the, the co-op exposure to say, I'll never do this again in my life. So I knew that, that this was just like a little hurdle I had to get over. <clears throat> so, it, but if it wasn't for those experiences, I, I, I might've just punched. I, I, I really wanted to be a math major, um, but uh, you know, I, I went into engineering because of, of money really. And then the, like I said the circuits thing just was off. <laughs> I guess that's a great message to students currently taking circuits, you know, just, just keep going along. Yeah, yeah, and and through my whole career, I've never had to do a, a KBL or. A KBL. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Maybe that was the easier part of the circuits <laughs> class. It just gets harder after that. I um, just I just ran out of that class. I was like, okay, uh, so, sophomore year, see, ya, I'm computer engineering. Yeah, yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. yeah. So um, luckily and then we had great professors. We did have ex extremely good professors, so that's a great thing. I had a great professor for the class, probably the professor I liked the most, and I still hated the course. That was, was awful. Yeah, there's only so much a professor can do. We had Dr. Ball. I'm not sure who, if you know who Dr. Ball is. Uh, he's a no. great guy. He, he's genuinely the best professor students could ask for. Wow. And then for our signals class, I think this is kind of more relevant to your domain. We had Dr. Buer. I'm not sure if you know Dr. Buer is you yeah, do, true. right? Yeah. He's a great yeah. fan of the podcast and he's a great supporter too. Yeah. And he, we took signals and systems with him, I guess. I, uh, took, with doc, I, I took with Dr. Wyatt, but yeah, then I took, the pandemic hit and then everyone yeah. was in the state. Yeah, no, Dr. Buer was an amazing professor <laughs> too. And sometimes, you know, you're just like, you really love the professor and they change the way you look at the class and how you approach it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this was a hard class, but yes. Yeah, he definitely made a good job making it fun. But uh, going back to your academic um, story, so when did you, when and why did you choose to go to uh, a PhD route to pursue further studies? Yeah, so one of the disadvantages of being a co-op student is by the time I graduated, I had the equivalent of about three years experience in the job that I was, um, you know, I took over. Um, so again, I got bored. It was like, I know how to do this job. Um, this is easy. Um, what, what do I do next? What, what's going to challenge me next? And um, uh, I, I just had a, a talk with the HR department with, with, uh, with the Navy, and they had mentioned that there's this program where they'll send you back to school for 12 months for you to get your master's. So that really excited me. So I, I applied for it. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get it. Um, but it, it opened me up to the path of going back to school. And in the process of it, I, I encountered a number of different fellowships and scholarships and funding opportunities that were available. Um, so I said, yeah, why, why don't I just, you know, it's unfortunate I, I wasn't able to stay with the Navy and, and go through as a civilian with the Navy through that, that program. But um, NASA was uh, funding folks, um, so I I just said okay, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go back to school. It, it was it was really led by boredom. So, and you went to University of Toledo. 
Yeah, because the uh, I had the NASA grant at, at Cleveland, um, and you as part of it, it was the it was they encouraged you to go to a, a school within the um, uh, Ohio State system. Um, I looked at Ohio State, and and I don't know something just rubbed me wrong. They were very arrogant and pompous, and uh, I'm probably not going to fit in here. Um, when I went to Toledo, I actually uh, went to a Mud Hens game, a baseball game, and, and fell in love with the city and said, "Oh, this is this is the city I want to be in." So. Absolutely. So, uh, like you said, that you you really liked your undergrad education because of your um, relationship with your professors. Is that why you came out to become a professor? <laughs> yeah. After? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really do. Like I said, my mother was a public school teacher, so there, there might be some genetic kind of thing about really liking the education aspect of things. Um, you are amazing. Students are really amazing. Uh, it's probably the closest thing to the fountain of youth uh, that you can have on the planet is, is associating with young people. Um, so I, I'm doing, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it because you're helping me uh, feel younger and more energetic. Um, So I'm really feeding off your energy. It's a great point you just made. I think very rarely in society do people of these age groups come together and work in such a close setting. And yeah, that that really did open my eyes to what a wonderful dynamic we share. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. 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 It, It really is the closest thing to the fountain of youth for old people like me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's a great way so, for us to get off with some wisdom some knowledge yeah no, i'm not sure about that but. <laughs> <laughs> and i had a question to uh the same uh follow-up question to the same question that i just asked so you love playing pool with your professors now now that the tables have turned how do you would you like playing pool with students playing darts with students Oh my God. So my first fall here, yeah, there was, uh, the department had a gathering at, um, IEEE did a a gathering at at PK's and I was like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. This will be, you know, and and then I I went to a couple of fall football games, you know, ran into some students uh, at tailgate parties and um, I was like, oh, this is is exactly, you know, and then of course COVID-19 hit. but uh, I, I'm looking forward to the day where, um, you know, we're, we're back open and we can have those social interactions and, and, and hopefully it, you know, will be enabled like that. Um, yeah, I think uh, as soon yeah. as we're able to safely gather, me and Mark are going to throw a, a party and you're going to be the guest of honor and we're just going to play pool and darts the whole night. Perfect. perfect. Yeah. I'm not good. I'm not good, but uh, <laughs> I, I like to play. Yeah, no, that sounds exciting. Um, so let's, I guess we've transitioned a little bit to more of your time at Virginia Tech. So tell us about how you ended up at Virginia Tech, what choices you made, and how long you've been here, and just a little bit of the story. Yeah, so, um, you know, it, it, it goes back to my whole random walk with, with my career. I was, uh, I, I was approaching a milestone at, at General Motors where I could retire, and um, you know, and, and reflecting, I was like, you know, I, the, the periods not, I really liked my job at, at General Motors at the end. I was doing some really cutting edge work and it was probably the best time in my career at General Motors. But at, at the same time, I was like, you know, 
I, I've always wanted to get back to sort of the university setting. Um, again, the fountain of youth and be around young people um, and, and your positive energy that you have and your enthusiasm. Um, so I, I, I was approaching this milestone where I could retire and I was like, well, you know what, I, I'm just going to put my toe in the water and uh, anticipating it was going to take three to four years to really find a job that I wanted because I, I'm in control now, right? I'm, I'm at the stage of my life where I don't, I don't need to work anymore. I, I, I've built my nest egg. I've got my retirement. I've got all these things. Um, so it's really, what do I want to do? So let me kind of just, you know, take a look around. And uh, luckily, uh, Virginia Tech had an opening and I was like, yeah, that, that fits everything I want. It, it's, it's in a better climate than Detroit. Um, a great department, great reputation. Um, so yeah, this, this would be my first trial run at, at coming back into uh, academia. Um, it, it turns out I, I was lucky enough to hit a home run on my very first at bat. Um, so it didn't take me the three to five years to kind of find a position that I wanted and where I was a good match to. So, so how long have you been at Virginia Tech Fort? Uh, just uh, last fall. So, awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, new. Right, yeah. I still get lost on campus. So, <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite building on campus? Except oh. for Whittemore, I guess. Oh, I hate Whittemore. That, yeah, it, me too. It's, it's funny. You can, I don't care what college campus you go to, you drive around, you find the ugliest building, and, and that's where the engineers are going to be. Right? <laughs> that's just an ugly 1970s building. The, the uh, internal structure of Whittemore is so confusing, too. There's like yeah, eight different hallways and six different doors. <laughs> Where am I going? It's so confusing. Yeah, yeah that's true, too. Yeah. yeah. Also, the worst part is the men's bathroom is on one side and the women's bathroom is on the other. So I'm always in class on that side, and I'm like, I have to run like a mile away to go. To the <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is crazy. Yeah. 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 In most buildings, you have them back to back in one plumbing stack, right? right. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. It's a crazy building. Um, no, I, I, I haven't found a favorite building yet here. I mean, it, the, uh, the outside of a number of buildings are very appealing. But Absolutely. Yet, I guess, uh, so, so I guess. Do, do you teach any classes here? Do you teach a lot of classes or, or is it more of an administrative role? No, I, um, I, I teach classes. So um, I've taught the uh, intro to communication uh, systems and uh, digital signal processing courses. And I was supposed to do signals and systems this, um, this fall, uh, but with uh, enrollment fluctuations and, and changes more at the grad level, uh, uh, some faculty got moved around. So. Awesome. And I would have liked signals and systems because I, 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 that's a fun class. So Absolutely. Fun that is a fun class. class. Um, so talk us about how you approach teaching a class, you know, what your teaching principles are, and how you really like to connect with your students, except for playing darts, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a couple of things, and maybe it's from my industry background, is, is I want students, what I, what I will call, to be handy. I, I want you to be valuable. I want you to be able to do things. So I'm, I'm thinking when I approach a class is how are the students – um, going to differentiate themselves uh, in like a job interview. What, what are you going to say during that job interview that sets you apart? 
And yeah, saying you're from Virginia Tech is wonderful and great. I mean, it's a top 10 program. So, th so that gets you in the door. But now you're in there with U of M grads and uh, I guess I'm Big Ten bias. I was going to say Ohio State and, and others. But um, so what can you do for me? Kind of like what skills are you going to do? And, and what, do you, what do you, you know, again, being handy. So, so I do bring in a lot of um, MATLAB and, and other tools that sometimes students embrace and sometimes they have a repulse, uh, repulse against it. But I, I want you. I want the students to be not only knowledgeable but also handy by the end of the term. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. Um, so I guess you've been mentioning hanging out with young our students a lot. Uh, let me ask you this: instead of doing a pop quiz this time, how about you tell us a couple things that you think students do that's like really interesting, like a couple things they say, or just how they behave that you've noticed in the last year that you found super interesting? Wow, that's a really good uh, good question. I'll have to, uh, um, I'll tell you some things that I've had to change in my vocabulary. Um, Absolutely. When, when, when things were, were kind of um, um, messed up or whatever, I used to say, oh, well, that's pretty hokey. <laughs> I, I can't say that anymore. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I had to remove uh, hokey from my, my vocabulary, at least. In, in that. Um, I, I think the, boy, I'm, I'm really struggling with, uh, with the question. Um, how, do, how do you relate uh, your college experience with the college kids that you see at Virginia Tech? Do you think college kids have changed in the last, I don't know, since you were a student to when we were a student? You're going to be surprised at this, but no. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're um, surprisingly similar to students of uh, 30, 40 years ago. Um, uh, you're, uh, I, I don't want to call myself bright, but, but uh, you're bright, you're um, enthusiastic, um, optimistic, um, you know, just, just wonderful. Um, mm -hmm. It's a wonderful generation you have. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I think this is a, a great time to wrap up the podcast. Any last words from you, Dr. Talty? Uh, yes. I want you all to get a master's degree. Um, uh, I don't know what I think about that. I was going to ask you about that. All right, so yes, we're not wrapping up the podcast. That's my whole job. At right. I forgot. You're, you're in charge of Master's of Engineering uh, admissions. And I really want to pursue a Master's of Engineering at Virginia Tech. Good. So good. Let's talk about that. Let's talk yeah. about just some pointers. What do you recommend students do? Why you recommend they do a Master's of Engineering? Anything you want to say. Sorry, we I didn't want, ask that question. I was yeah. literally going to ask that. <laughs> I, like, okay. I just want to give you, give you two, two stats. Um, one is that somewhere around 40% of your peers, your peers being those with uh, a bachelor's in science and computer engineering or electrical engineering are gonna go on and get a master's degree. So 40%, 40% of your peers are going to get a master's degree, right? So um, this isn't a small percentage of people that go on and get their master's degree. And, and this was a study from uh, Georgetown University uh, done a few years ago or two or three years ago. Um, and, and it didn't necessarily say whether you got a master's degree in, in business. So there's, there's a number of engineers that go on and get MBAs. 
Um, but the fact is 40% of your peers are going to get master's degrees. So they, it had better be in your plan. If your plan is to have a successful long career, um, you, you're really going to need to get that master's degree. Um, the, the second stat I'll, I'll throw out, which is also in this Georgetown report, which is really interesting, it, it um, tracked salary uh, over uh, your career. So it wasn't just a snapshot of your first job. Because a, a lot of students, when they, when they talk about um, going on to get the master's, say it, it's, a, it's a, a terrible financial decision because I'm going to have 12, 18 to 24 months of lost salary and it's going to take me you know, a decade to recover that or whatever, because they're only looking at snapshots of, of what they would have gotten for the BS degree and what they would have got, what they would have earned as a MS, just as a snapshot, not over a career or the uh, additional promotional opportunities it gives you uh, as your career progresses. So at the end of your career, towards the end of your career, the salary differential is about 20%, 20% difference between uh, a master's uh, and a, uh, a BS degree. So that's huge. And, and the value of a dollar um, when you're 24 is a lot different than the value of a dollar when you're 45, right? So having 20% more dollars in your pocket at 45 is, is huge, right? Because you're gonna have kids, you're gonna have houses and cars and you've got all of these things. So the value of the future value of your income potential is significantly higher with the master's degree. Um, so those, those are the two things I, I wanna leave you with and really encourage you to think about your education. And it doesn't have to necessarily be that you're enrolling full-time, but you're going to make progress towards a master's degree uh, through your career because it, it will open up additional promotional opportunities and income for you. So. So what's the difference between a master's in engineering and a master's in science? Yeah, so um, Virginia Tech classifies the degrees as master's of engineering and master's of science. Some other schools classify it as a master's of science with thesis and a master's of science without thesis. And I think that's a little bit easier to think about the distinguishing features between the programs. So uh, an MS here requires you to do a thesis. And um, a thesis is really something you have to do full-time. You can't be a part-time student and complete a, uh, a thesis. It, it just requires an in-depth uh, uh, research-intensive environment in order to complete a thesis. Um, the uh, Master's of Engineering, you, take this, you can take the same course load as somebody would with uh, uh, an MS degree. You, you're going to take a couple more courses because you're not going to do the thesis, but in uh, an exchange of the thesis here at Tech, you'll do a project. And a project is a little less open-ended, um, and it's something that a working professional, for example, could, could work towards and complete. Um, it doesn't prevent you from going on and getting a PhD or doing additional work. It's just changing. Do you do a, a thesis um, or a non-thesis uh, option? Absolutely. So, so if I'm a student who wants to pursue further education, how do I decide if I want a PhD or a master's? Like, what's the main difference? Like, you didn't do a master's and you straight up did a PhD. So how'd you make that? No, no I, I, went in, I went back just to get my master's degree. I wasn't... Oh, okay. I wasn't thinking of PhD. Again, that was sort of the random, random walk approach to my career. Um, 
I went back to get my master's and my plan was to get a master's in, in engineering concurrently with an MBA. Um, that was my plan. Um, and, and then I met my future wife um, and she had other ideas and didn't necessarily. So when I, when I graduated with my master's degree, I had job offers on the East Coast and the West Coast. And my wife was, is from Detroit and she wanted nothing to do with the defense industries uh, on the East Coast or, or West Coast. Um, so I didn't have a job. So I just stayed at school and got my PhD. I, I wasn't, <laughs> this is probably terrible, right? I'm sure most of the people that you'll talk to were, were highly motivated to continue their work. Um, for me, it was like, well, I'll just stay here. I, I like what I'm doing. It, it's fun. Um, so I, I just stayed on and got my PhD. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, I wanted to ask, say if I'm a student who's really into like engineering and application, but not necessarily heavily into research, I guess, would masters of engineering be the correct choice for me, even if I want to do it as a full-time student right after I graduate, or would you recommend I do a master's of science then? The, the difference is whether or not um, you want to commit yourself to doing a, an in-depth research study. Um, do you want to focus? Are, are you in a, a, a position in your life where you're saying, you know, chasing XYZ of this technology is, is what my passion is, and this is what I want to devote myself to, even if it's just for a short period of time. Um, then the answer is, yeah, you, you do the thesis. You, you have something that you're really interested in that, that is a passion, follow that passion. Um, if you're more of, um, I, I'm still at sort of the buffet lay, uh, uh, you know, mentality where I'm still sampling a lot of things and I'm not exactly sure, do I want to devote myself to one path or another, then, then an MN, full-time MNG is probably a much better choice. Awesome. You know, that, that clears a, a personal question for me. So uh, also I had one more question. You're the director of uh, admissions. So what do you look at more in a student? Do you like to, a student to have a higher GPA or more industry experience like internships or what's hands-on? What's the ideal experience? application balance like? Wow, that's, that's a great question. And, and I'm still struggling to find that, right? The, uh, so there's, um, there's, certain, there, there's minimum requirements for entry, right? So there's, there's a, uh, a bar there that um, you must, you know, be above. You, you must have a certain uh, GPA and a certain uh, GRE score, right? So, so I, I, what we're seeing in the admission process is really good students, anyways, right? I mean, these, in order to qualify to just apply for the program, you're a good student, right? So it becomes really hard then to you when when you're um, resource limited or limited on the number of students you can accept into a program, it becomes really hard because all of these students um, are good students. And all of these students, if they, if, if they don't come to Virginia Tech, they, they could easily go elsewhere. Um, so it, it's, it's really hard. So, so what, what distinguishes is, is really the statement of purpose. Uh, so with your grad application, there's going to be a short essay that you write that talks about why you're pursuing your, your graduate degree uh, and what your interests are. Um, so that becomes a really motivating uh, factor. 
Awesome. What about the recommendations that sometimes students have to attach? How, how big of a factor do they play? Huge. Um, yeah, so that, yeah, that, that's a good point. The, so, so when I'm looking at, at a candidate, um, they've, they've got the GPA, they've got the GRE, and they've got good letters of recommendation. Those are sort of the required, the, you know, the, every good student is going to have that. Um, although I have had applications where the student looks good and the letter of recommendation is just lukewarm. Um, and, and, it, and if all three letters of recommendation are just kind of lukewarm, like, oh yeah, the, you know, student XYZ was in my class, he was uh, non-memorable. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, you know, and there's, there's a, you know, a bunch of those kind of lukewarm. Um, yeah, that, that's definitely a red flag. Um, but generally, um, like if a student comes and asks me for a letter of recommendation, I will only say yes if, if I'm going to write a good letter of recommendation. I think most faculty are like that. Um, Maybe some faculty are less confrontational. So if, if, a, if a student comes to me and says, hey, I'd like a letter of recommendation, and I know that I, I, I'm not going to write them a good letter of recommendation, I just will tell them no. I'm not going to write them a letter of recommendation. Uh, so hopefully all faculty are that honest uh, and, and um, forthright with you when, you when you ask for letters of recommendation. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I answered your question. No, you did. Um, is this is this it? Are we wrapping up for the second time today? I think it's a good point. Yeah. You're ready to end it. Awesome. All right, then. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Talti. Is there anything you'd like to add for a second time? Uh, no, no. And, and good luck editing, editing all this. To get it to <laughs> <laughs> I'll try my best. Yeah.